Mason said I have a Steve Jobs outfit on. I didn't wear my yeah. gold, I didn't wear my gold chain because I didn't want to look like that one the rock. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who I feel like the audience should know you are obsessed with. I feel like it's my crush on him has dwayned. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. I did used to really have a huge crush on him, and I still do. I think his um no, I'm not gonna speak ill of the raw. Where's my... I'm sorry. I'm trying to find my lip gloss. Mm-hmm. Dab, dab, dab. <sighs> my lip gloss is cool. My lip gloss is popping. I'm standing at my locker and all, all the boys keep stopping. stopping. What you know about me? What you know about me? What you know about me? What you, what you, what you know? Nice. I think I went to college for music. <laughs> my entire life. Was leading up to that moment. Good, good. You've peaked. I actually have a bachelor's degree in music, <laughs> which is shocking. No, it's not shocking. It's a little shocking. All right. Hi, my name is Maggie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Mad, Mad Woman, Woman in, in the, the Attic. attic. <laughs> <laughs> we went. <laughs> okay. Oh, 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 oh. Let's, Let's go, go, girls. Not our best, but I don't think we should redo it. No, I like it. Yeah. I think it's a stuffy nose. (laughs) We both have allergies right now. I literally have a bag of Ricola. Cough drops and a coffee. We were both just talking about we hope we're not sick. Sick, sick. So I have a massive jug of emergency water. And I just have massive jugs. (laughs) I'm just Pete, and I like jugs. (laughs) I also have my ginger ale probiotic soda. That's nice. I think I should drink some water at some point today. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Yeah. Oh, should I also take a slurp? Yeah, ready? Ooh, that was hot. It was cold. (laughs) We're fire and ice, baby. (sighs) Yeah, y'all need to bear with us today because we're both stuffy. I just went to The Mule. Shout out to... The Mule, Oklahoma City's finest grilled cheese. Yeah. And I had a tomato soup and grilled cheese. I just had a lovely lunch with our best friend's fiance. Yeah. <laughs> I Don't you just love like your friends? We call him the, what were we called? The group husband. The group husband, group boyfriend. Yeah. He's like a collective. Community boyfriend. Community boyfriend. That's, That's what, what we were calling him for a while. Yeah. And he really is. Yeah. I just love him. We have two friends like that where they're in committed relationships, just the most genuine people. And they look out for the single girls and we love them for it. And not in a weird way. Yeah. Like not in a way that makes anyone feel uncomfortable or inappropriate. But I did get lunch with our friend and I yeah. got a grilled cheese and bacon. It was like a cup of soup and two grilled cheeses. Okay. What? Like, that was what I got for yeah. my entree. A cup of soup and two grilled cheeses. Is that weird? Why two instead of one? Is it one cut and a half? No, it was two grilled cheeses cut in fours. I think it was like an appetizer, technically. Oh, yeah. But I just ate the whole thing. Yeah. It was yummy. I get the FYDH. What's that? It's the one with goat cheese and an egg. Oh, and, and the bacon avocado. And avocado. I was looking at that one. Yeah, I almost I got that. never deviated. I almost got that, but I feel like the egg was important on that one, and eggs make me shit profusely. Yeah. I might have a small allergy. I would literally have like no source of protein if to I was eggs. That's how I was. I used to eggs. eat eggs for 
literally every meal. Yeah. Not literally. Probably once a day, though. Like, yeah. I would usually have, like, eggs for lunch. Yeah. Love egg salad. Love a fried egg. Love yeah. scrambled eggs. Love it over easy. I just love eggs. Yeah. And then I was so sick for, like, a year. I just kept having, like, these stomach problems. I went to the doctor. They didn't say, say anything. And then I, I think I moved. Yeah. Like, I moved in with my ex. And I just changed the meals that I was eating. I was, like, eating different food. And then we made scrambled eggs one day. And I, like, violently... Yeah. Pooped myself. It was like, <laughs> could it be eggs? <laughs> and then a lot of trial and error was like, it's eggs. Wow. And then I know another person who the same thing, ha- same age, like 21, 22. Yeah. Just That's what it's like an acquired. It's a weird one. Yeah. It's like me like with oysters. Fish is really commonly acquired in your 20s or 30s. Yeah. My mom got that. And then I think I do too. But just with the oysters, just with the mollusk side of crust yeah. or of shellfish, not the crustacean side. I'm deathly allergic to tree nuts. Yeah. For me to have a severe allergy and then also develop like a, a weird, like a dumb allergy is like, why? Yeah. I'm just, one would have been fine. Yeah. It really rude of my nose to be mostly clear all morning and then as we're sitting here I can feel it getting cloggy and sneezy again mostly my voice I feel like is gonna be yeah already low yeah I'm already a girl with a low voice yeah I'm an alto I was a tenor which is my singing voice is low but I guess my talking voice is higher I have quite a low voice and I also have a lot of vocal fry <laughs> How's your week going? Fine. Well, no, not fine. It's actually been today seems fine, but yeah, I did seems better. A lot of crying yeah. this week. We just recorded the last episode two days, two days ago. ago, so not not a lot has happened. Well, much has changed. I am a little bit more emotionally stable today. That's good for now. Me too. Yeah, and I'm sure you have a weight off your shoulders a little bit because I quit my job this morning. You did. <laughs> Yeah. I was a little bit like agonizing over it. You were. I do feel better. Yeah. I think this is the second time in my adult life that I have quit a job that wasn't a good fit. Yeah. Without a job lined up. The last time it worked out so great for me. That was how I started my freelance business. I did that for three years after that. It was just like the best decision I've ever made. Mm-hmm. But I did have like supplemental income at that time. So yeah. that was a huge reason why I didn't quit this job sooner. And it's really nothing against like, I love the people who work at this company, but just not a good fit. And really wasn't from the beginning. There was a lot of stuff that just wasn't really getting out of it, but I wanted to, you know? Yeah. So, but I did give my notice today and I feel a lot better. I was really in turmoil over it. Yeah. I knew it would be like almost immediate once it was over with. Yeah. I mean, I'm going back to freelance at least through then like the holidays. I'll probably apply for some full-time jobs in the meantime, but I think I'm going to focus on just like picking up some freelance work, but I'm sure the financial stuff will hit me. Yeah. At some point as it always does. But for right now, I feel like it was the right choice. Yeah. And part of it was this week we released the episode where we talked about the night witches and a lot of like women in the workplace and some of the stuff we Uh were saying, I was like listening to it and like really not living by this. You got to... Yeah, listen to your own advice. Yeah, where I was very like... Which if y'all haven't listened to that one yet, go listen because it's a good, a good one. one. I called several people in the last couple of days just to be like, hey, what do, what do you think? Like, I'm just feeling like I don't know that I need to like stick it out any longer, you know? Yeah. And everybody agreed. <laughs> Everyone agreed and was really like supportive. My sister gave me really good advice yesterday and I was just crying a lot. 
and was saying, I just feel like I'm setting better boundaries in like every area of my life, cutting out things that aren't making me happy. And I'm getting a lot better at that. But I just feel like those spaces aren't necessarily being like filled with good things. Yeah. And so I'm just feeling like this has just been a year of cutting things out and cutting people out. And then it just, there isn't a lot left. And my sister said that when she was in her like later 20s, she did like a huge career change. She did a huge cross country move without some like unhealthy relationships. And she was like, you know, I had a couple years when I look back that were like really, really, really hard. But if you just stick to your guns and are like, even if it's not personal, even if it's not this like catastrophic thing, like just saying no to things that don't align with you and don't make you feel happy and don't make you feel good. And she's like, you know, it takes a while to like fill in those gaps with things that do make you happy and you just have to be patient and it'll all work out. And I was like, wisdom, (laughs) love sisters, mostly mine. So I thought that was good advice. Yeah. But yeah, we're doing better today. Yeah. I'm only like a couple hours into this. So I'm feeling like, okay, well, I just did that. Yeah. (laughs) Now what? Not yeah. sure. We'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the interim, now I have a lot more free time to put into the podcast, which we've been enjoying a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends. Join our Patreon so <laughs> we can be full-time podcast girlies. Yeah. Not even. It would be fun to part-time. be part-time. Yeah. Part-time yeah. would be... Honestly, I would love to be like freelancing part-time, podcasting part-time would be... Ugh. The dream. Yeah. And then once I'm licensed, I'll be counseling also part-time. Yeah. Counseling art podcast is the goal. I'm also accepting applications for... I'm always accepting applications in this podcast. Yeah. But I really am never... No, but I'm accepting applications for sugar mommies and daddies. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Like if you just want to give me money and for nothing. Yeah. Turn. There will be no sex. Yeah. Unless you're really cute. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) What else? I don't know. I feel like that was my only update. I'm excited about happier today. Yeah. Well, you're happier. I'm just ignoring all the things I talked about in counseling right now. Just not thinking about it. The second I start thinking about it again, I will crash again. I do feel like I made this big job change without talking to my therapist about it. Like I had talked to her and it's not just a job, like the job. I have felt for years, like, I don't know if this is like the career that I, I don't know if this is the industry I want. I don't know if this is the career I'm going to enjoy long term. Like I'm just not really feeling fulfilled. Uh I've talked to her about that. She told me that I should drive UPS over the holidays. Could be fun. For some extra. Honestly, I can't remember. You was look it, great in the uniform. Yeah, I was like, was it you? Or I was like, I'm going to drive UPS. And yeah. you were like, you look great in the shorts. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, there's that. Yeah. Okay. Ho, 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 ho. Story time. time. Every time we do that, I'm like, it's written ho uh. Yeah. But we go ho oh. Are we doing it wrong? Ho <laughs> Interesting. I just I think that's as good as we're gonna get. Emotionally, I wanted to do that one Beyonce run, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna attempt Speaking it. Speaking of Beyonce, it's look at the back of this book. That one. Yeah, but look, who runs the world? Beyonce. Girl. Girls. Beyonce. Is the next lyric from the Beyonce song. I know, but it's Beyonce. Well, yeah. But the song says, who runs the world? Girls. Girls. Which is great. Girls. It's fitting because we are going back. Who run this mother? Who run this mother? 
You just keep dancing. <laughs> <laughs> that's for just the Patreon subscribers. Yeah. Find me on OnlyFans. <laughs> In my turtleneck. I have Steve Jobs OnlyFans. Like the Dwayne The Rock Johnson vibes. Do you have a Steve Jobs kink? Sarah's your girl. <laughs> I'm Steve No Jobs today. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Okay. Hit me. Baby, one more time. Hold on, I gotta shake this off. Yeah, my anxiety skyrocketed. I saw it happen. Yeah, in real time. Why am I about to cry? It's okay if you have to. In the meantime, would you like me to sing you a song? <laughs> what song? This one is for the boys with the booming system. Top down <laughs> AC with the cooling system. When he come up in the club, he be blazing up. Got sacks on deck like he's saving up. Cause he ill, he real, he might got a deal. He bought bottles and he got the right kind of bill. Wow. <laughs> that just came out of me. <laughs> uh, not what I was expecting. I also wasn't expecting that. Okay. <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. That was weird. That was weird of me. What happened? <laughs> uh, how did I end up in such a boring field with such a dazzling personality yeah. and variety of skill sets? Yeah. That's why you started a podcast. Yeah. True. True, true, true. Yeah. And no, this I podcast mean. doesn't even highlight my best feature, which is my fat ass. Yeah. Stand up and show the Patreon subscribers. Okay. There it is. Oh, and it looks great. I mean, really. this is why our intro is always. Maybe we're, we should. We're always like, let's get into the story. And then we're like, actually, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about our outfits every single time. Let's show everyone our butts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Hit me with the okay. hat, hat. Hat. No, don't say. <laughs> I can't pronounce. Have you never heard this word? <laughs> no. We're. Did I go to school? That's a great question. No, 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 no. I have uh, another no. question for you after. I'm about to be educated. I know what the question is, and I'm going to wait because I feel like you're going to ask me at the end. Today, we're going back thousands of years, like several thousands. So if you think we live in a male-dominated patriarchal culture today, you can imagine what life may have looked like for women 3,000 years ago. Not just because you know what it's like to live as a woman, but because you likely grew up hearing accounts of what life was like for women in early civilizations like ancient Mesopotamia, Egypt, Mm -hmm. the Middle East. The weaker sex, so-called, was untrustworthy, unpredictable, too soft, good for childbearing and childrearing, not leading a family, and definitely not leading a nation, as they thought. But as Kara Cooney writes in When Women Rule the World, in one place on our planet thousands of years ago, against all odds of the male-dominated system in which they lived, women ruled repeatedly with formal, unadulterated power, not as the mere power behind a man on the throne, but as God-King incarnate. So, you may have guessed already, but we are traveling to ancient Egypt! Which my question was, (laughs) did you ever have an ancient Egypt phase in school? I know you did. 100%. And ancient Greece, you know, Greek gods. I don't think I had that phase. I remember reading a book that Uh took place in ancient Egypt. And while I was reading that book, I was like really into it. Yeah. But my interests were dumb. When I had special interests, they were dumb, and I didn't learn... I mean, I also was a horse girl. My biggest special interest was Spongebob. Well, yeah, obviously. No, this is Patrick. (laughs) I've been watching Spongebob. I just watched... Without me? I just watched the episode where he's the hall pass monitor. (laughs) Oh, my God. In the hall! In the hall! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so to answer your question, no. Okay. (laughs) 
Interesting. Well, uh, I did. (laughs) My sister got me this book for Christmas. Highly recommend. It's so good. We'll have to tag her. Yes. Episode. Yeah. Wait, I have one question. Okay. Because I'm now I want to borrow that book. Yeah. Is it just about this person or is it about several? Several. Hmm. Yes. And I'll name a few of them. Oh, so we're talking about several. Well, we're focusing on one, but they all kind of like link together. So So, yeah, we're traveling to ancient Egypt, a land that didn't just tolerate, but demanded that women step up to keep regimes running smoothly, especially during times of crisis. So ancient Egypt was ruthlessly authoritarian and overtly masculine with god kings, colossal architecture, crocodile-headed gods, but it welcomed the female rule, which in other cultures around the same time would have been a perceived threat to male rule. But ancient Egypt had also created some level of gender equity through land ownership and social freedoms, so women could access divorce, make decisions for themselves in many cases. They also had bloodthirsty mercurial goddesses, Sashet, Bastet, and Isis, which could have meant that women in the real world could have been seen as having those same traits Mm -hmm. because they had these female deities that were very powerful. Even so, it was still a deeply patriarchal society that often kept women relegated to the harem and out of the political game in any real capacity other than scheming to have their son become the next king. But the constant threat of foreign warlords paired with their (laughs) dedication to a direct linear line to the king Mm -hmm. and the resulting sterility from incestuous marriages Mm -hmm. meant that they would often choose a female king to rule to avoid foreign conflict or internal strife. Temporarily, at least. So this book, When Women Rule the World by Kara Cooney, covers six Egyptian women, Mernith, Neferuzabek, Hatshepsut, Nefertiti, Tawasret, and Cleopatra. Each started as queen, basically a childbearer for the king, but ended up at some point, through different means, a decision maker. Some, like Mernith, never took formal positions of power, but appear in history as ruling for a son who was too young. Mm, yeah. Twelve dynasties later, Neferuzabek was the first to take Egyptian kingship as her formal title after her brother slash husband slash king <laughs> died. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of that. Ruling alone for four years. Did uh, they call the women kings or was it just that they were all called pharaohs? She, it, king. Oh, yeah. Wow. Queen, but Hatshepsut in particular ended up taking a title, which is part of what we'll talk about. So Neferuzabek ruled alone for four years as her dynasty had faded out due to sterility. So she was kind of like closing out a dynasty. There was no boy to rule for. So she ruled on her own and kept Egypt safe while everyone kind of figured out their next. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she was sterile, but the line of kings, the patrilineal line. And it was from incest. Died out. Yes. So was it just that they would marry their siblings most often to keep their line? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They and other women who temporarily took power over the first 1700 years of Egypt's history largely were called upon to rule during times of crisis, to close out a dying dynasty, like I mentioned, or to settle chaos with their more protectionist and diplomatic decision making. Mm. So I feel like I have, and maybe you're already planning to talk about this, I feel like I've heard about like gender lines being blurred in Egypt to begin with, where like even yeah. men, feminist qualities, fe- yeah. excuse me, feminine qualities yeah. were more accepted in mm-hmm. men too, right? We'll talk a lot about the kind of blurring the gender, yeah. especially when it comes to documentation of history. Mm-hmm. So 
around 1550 BC, so this is like over 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. came Hatshepsut, who did not take power as king during chaos or crisis or to mitigate disaster like Merneith and Neferuzobek did, but during a time of peace, which was the main difference about how she started her rule. So this will kind of be about how she got her power. Mm-hmm. So background, currently at this point in history, Amenhotep I is the current king of Egypt, the son of a brother-sister <laughs> ruling pair, and he had no heir. So no one is really sure how it happened, but Egypt went beyond the royal family to appoint the next king, Thutmose. He had likely been a general in the wars and was married to a princess named Ahmed, who was probably related to Amenhotep I in some way. So the crisis of secession was resolved, but like for once it wasn't a brother-sister marriage that resolved it. Because that was largely what happened. When there wasn't an actual heir, usually to keep it within the family still, they would marry siblings. So Thutmose, who was kind of married into this family to then rule, had many heirs because he was not descent, <laughs> a yeah. descended from uh, incest. His eldest daughter was Hatshepsut. She was born from Thutmose's most highly placed wife. And so as such was still connected to Dynasty 18. Yeah. So at a young age, she was made high priestess and probably saw very early on There is so much from the very beginning of her life that leads up to how she knew to take the steps she did to get where she got. Wow. So at a young age, as a priestess, it is very Game of Thronesy for sure. So she probably saw early on how like the priesthood was an ideological base of power and that could really make or break a ruler in a culture that was very spiritual. Yeah. So being a high priestess, came with wealth, um, an institutional household, a palace, income-producing lands. What was the, this might be a dumb question. What okay. was the religion? It was called? polytheistic. Was I don't think like it really had a name, it? no. There was still like a creation story in most yeah, cultures I at wonder. this time, but there wasn't like a name for the religion, as far as I understand. It's just so wild to think about, like, yeah. they had this religion. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean... Or like Hinduism. It's just wild yeah, to think about. Know. Yeah, I never really thought about that. Like, there's no name. Or was there a name and we just didn't, we just don't know. I feel like most heavily polytheistic religions, like, I think with Hinduism, there's like multiple gods. It still is a religion as a whole. But I feel like with ancient Rome and ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, there were polytheistic religions, but people would like kind of dedicate themselves to specific gods, Mm. for example. Ancient, don't you just feel like ancient stuff is just the wildest to think about? Yes. Yeah. Are you about to enter finally your ancient Egypt face? Well, I always (laughs) think about 3,000 years from now, someone were to find like the remnants of my life, what would they? Yeah. (laughs) Like my digital footprint. Yeah. They'd be like, what were people doing? SpongeBob? What were people doing? (laughs) Okay. Ideological base of power as a high priestess came with an institutional household, palace, income producing lands, treasuries, personnel, like the whole shebang. And she was wife, quote unquote, to Amun, one of the eight primordial deities. So Mm. 
one of the main ones. There's tons of gods and yeah. goddesses, but like thousands, right? Yeah, like Amun is one of the big ones. And so she's married to You're him. You're playing with the big boys now. So that's why she's a priestess, because she's married to one of the deities. She was a gods. priestess because she is the firstborn daughter of the king, and the king put her into the position of high priestess. And as such, she was married to okay, entitled the wife of Amun. But they're not physical beings. Right? No. Okay. Yeah, it's symbolic. Like a nun. Yeah. So she was educated, trained in diplomacy, rich, and rubbing shoulders with the most powerful people in Egypt from birth, basically. At first, she seems the dutiful daughter that represents her family wherever she goes. She was essentially like an extension of the king's authority without being a threat to that authority. Mm-hmm. Authority. Authorities. Authorities. She had no heir which means she had no sons for whom she might scheme into the throne. So that made her even less of a threat because so many women in the harem with heirs would be trying to work their way into the throne room a little bit more thoroughly through their children. Mm -hmm. So another quote from the book, to place such a daughter in a temple position radiated power back to the king without the worry that she would take any for herself. Or so he thinks. So when her brothers, though, the first heirs to the throne as boys, suddenly kind of die. <laughs> but they're younger than her. You should, she's the oldest, yeah. right? I'm or not she sure. The she's the oldest girl. daughter. Okay. I'm not sure where the sons come into play as Do far as age. Die. Yes. Pretty suddenly. I don't think history really knows of what or why, but Interesting. it was, I think, a 50% chance of survival that a kid would make it to adulthood, yeah. basically. Right. And 40 was ancient. Yeah. So yeah, her brothers died and the palace was basically thrown into upheaval as the mothers of every son of the king were fighting to have their son be next in line. Mm -hmm. And he has so many sons. (laughs) Yes. And so many baby mamas. Yes. So no heir was chosen. And then when Thutmose finally died, suddenly Hatshepsut was like no longer king's daughter in anything but title because the king was dead. Yeah. So a son, probably third or fourth in line, was chosen and named Thutmose II, kind of to make it seem like there's a more direct line by giving Mm -hmm. them that name, but he was very far down the line. Everything we know, which is not much, uh, basically said he was unhealthy, weak, probably far younger than Hatshepsut. Poor guy. Largely deemed insignificant um, by historical records. There's, I think she writes in the book that he ruled either between three or ten years. And she's like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt (laughs) and say he ruled three because then his lack of achievements, like, maybe aren't quite so bad. (laughs) So, poor nameless king. I know. That was the second. Yeah, I don't even know what his actual name was before they renamed him. So he died, (laughs) leaving behind one daughter of Hatshepsut and a nursery of children too young to rule. Mm. So in every other sense... Were they all hers or with other wives? Yeah, multiple. So she has one daughter and then he has kids with a ton of women. A ton of women in the harem. And from what I understand, the harems were huge. I mean, you wanted... So many STDs. No wonder all of them were dying. Yes. So many, so much incest, just messy in general. But they were just so dedicated to the patrilineal bloodline that it was like, it took literally absolute sterility to be able to make a change in each dynasty, pretty much. So 
Egypt was thriving at this point. Crops were growing, mines were producing, trade routes were reopening. So at this point, usually a boy would be chosen as king and his mother would raise him and rule as regent until he was old enough. That mother would pose no threat to the throne, in theory, but Hatshepsut broke this rule. So, another quote. The Theban family that had so long consolidated its power to the point of incestuous infertility would not allow anyone else to rule on behalf of their future king. It would be Hatshepsut or nobody, female offspring of both the old family of King Amos and the new lineage of King Thutmose, who is allowed to govern for the unready child. Hatshepsut had made her first move on the path to kingship. That's I didn't think about that, that she's connected to the yeah. old and the new. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. She's like... All the connections. I'm entitled. To yes. This. So the way they chose the kings in situations like this, so they had an oracle, mm. and no one is really sure how the oracle worked. So <laughs> she kind of talks about how priests could have decided in advance and then done this, or they could have taken some psychedelic substance mm. to let their own agendas go. And basically enabled them to channel the wishes of their god. So the god, quote unquote, chose Thutmose III. No mortal was ever given credit. So Thutmose III, his son, (laughs) her husband's... Yes, but but I don't think he was like the first. Oh. Yeah, it's not her son, which is important. And he's a baby. And he's a baby, yeah. Yeah, the oracle was basically a means of removing such determinations from human hands which was successful, obviously. So the momentous decision was influenced by a number of factors, including the health of the child, but perhaps more importantly, the mother of the boy. They have to consider a lot of things, essentially, when choosing, because it's not just where's the bloodline, but like also what power does the mother of that child have? And will that person be a threat or not? Weirdly, this time, they chose this child who was from an uninfluential woman. Mm. She was kind of like a nobody in the grand scheme of things. Relative to the other wives of the king. Yeah. Yeah. So there could be a lot of reasons for this. It could be that a lot of the other sons were products of incestuous unions. And so they're like, (laughs) we really need to have one that's not because they have by this point realized that incest is making them sterile. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So when choosing this boy, the in-laws... The boy's parents um, would be invited into the palace, bringing all the issues that come with those who suddenly see a new potential for acquiring power. So always kind of a threat to bring in a new family because, again, everyone's scheming for the throne, basically. It is Game of Thrones. (laughs) And here's another quote. Killing people. Yeah. Which, well, I'll come to that later. (laughs) This is another quote. As Hatshepsut had borne no son to her brother, the decision was made for everyone to serve the genetic health of a continued dynasty, not the ultra-protectionist stance of an inbred royal family, except that, by picking this particular boy, they simultaneously allowed a member of the old royal family, Hatshepsut, to pull the strings. It was a stroke of brilliance. Yeah. And because Egypt was, like, at this point, entering a time of peace... Yeah. It's still very precarious. So it was also a time that they needed a peace builder. Yeah. Not an aggressive ruler. So would she have been, because she was like of the highest position, would she have been like the head wife of the former king? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even Mm -hmm. if they appoint one of the other wives' kids, she's still the head wife. Yes. Even after his Mm -hmm. death. 
Yeah, in this specific situation. She would have influence. Specifically because they wanted someone to raise the boy. A lot of times the mother of the, the biological mother of the child being put into power would act as regent. Yeah. But they needed Hatshepsut to rule because she was connected to both dynasties. And so that's why they chose the insignificant woman's child so that that Hatshepsut still had a reason to be the stand-in. So Thutmose III was chosen. He was like two years old at the time. And this was basically the tool that like allowed Hatshepsut to lead Egypt with such thoroughness, I suppose. So the boy she writes is likely miserable. Like he's being told what to do. He is, you know, all this stuff, but Hatshepsut has been doing this for so long. She knows the rituals. She knows the inner workings of the palace. She's got it. Gets it. Right. How old is she at that point? Do you know? Do they know? She would still be, I think pretty young. I would. Old relative to the population. Yeah. Old relative to the population. I'm assuming she's in her teens probably at this point. So crazy. Yeah. But this was, like, also a very precarious situation for her to be in. So if that boy died, all the schemes and hopes would be quashed as a new representative of the royal family was found. Because of the 50-50 chance of never reaching adulthood, there was, like, a 50-50 chance that this would work as planned yeah. for Hatshepsut and all the people who were also Watching kind of wanting her, her yeah, to be in power. as a pawn. Yes. Yes. Pawn. Correct. A pawn queen. Yes. So this part's really interesting. This really reminds me of Dune, which you've read. Yeah. And how the Bene Gesserit had planted Mm -hmm. these Messiah stories on several planets to eventually have someone to fulfill this prophecy that's built in over thousands of years. Religion plays a huge, huge part in her rise to power. They already had a complicated set of mythologies to grapple with like the secession problem and why it was so important that there was a bloodline relation and why it was so important to normally prioritize father, son, son, son versus father, brother, because they had like this myth that Osiris, king of Egypt, was murdered by his brother, Seth. Horus, the young son of Osiris, was not old enough to take control of Egypt. So the brother took claim to the throne. So there is like this built-in kind of wariness of siblings taking over, despite many of the marriages. Well, that makes sense that they would have sibling marriages because I feel like there's this fear that your sibling will kill you for the throne, where like your child, yeah, there isn't that same fear Mm -hmm. where it's like, well, they know they'll get it. You'll probably die by the time they're old enough anyways. Right. That's why another reason why this person was chosen, because as far as I understand, Thutmose the first had other sons when Thutmose the second died. Yeah. So there were brothers of Thutmose the second, Hatshepsut's brother king, brother husband, age. who were of age. But this says choosing the brother of the dead king instead of the son was asking for civil war. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah. Everyone looked to a seamless transition of the crown from one generation to the next, basically to secure their incomes. Uh, The elite in particular are all kind of riding on these decisions. Warlording paid no dividends. Coups and secret alliances only harmed. The potential reward for the risk taker was infinitesimal. Was there a lot of repercussions on like the people? (sighs) Not that I could really tell. I mean, like... I wonder what their perception of this was. We will get to see a little bit. Oh, we will. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Especially with like 
more like how they retained influence and power. Well, and like without, through like the stories they spun. Yeah, like like it would just be wild even just to distribute this information so often. Right. Like, yes. It's such a wild yeah. thing. And so many people with no technology or... Ancient marketing. Yeah, ancient marketing. And it, it, it's it really interesting when you get to that point. Yeah, I mean, like, most people probably couldn't read or write, right? But they could... So it was word of mouth. ...view symbolism. Yeah. Carved on things. Yeah. Permanently. True. Yeah. Tagging. Yeah. So the king was chosen, Thutmose the Third, but he was a little baby. So the power behind the throne was the highest priestess in the land, which was Hatshepsut. Yeah. So this meant the rejection of a, any child with a strong and influential mother, and by extension, a strong elite family lineage, and thus demanded a boy whose mother was poorly educated or inappropriate for rule herself or both. We should never forget that it was actually the regency of Hatshepsut, whose leadership everyone seemed to desire, that shaped the selection of the next king, not the other way around. Yeah. In order to put Hatshepsut on the throne, which at this point people wanted. Yeah. In order to retain the power that they already had at this point, they chose the king in order, literally for the purpose of keeping her in power. Yeah. Which is so crazy to think that she's a teenager. Yes. It's so hard to even imagine a society where, like, right. your wise old people are 15. Right, exactly. So she had the support of, like, the elite. So she was immediately able to step in and, like, fill the gap, basically, yeah. between dynasties. It was still, like, a vulnerable kingship. Even though she had all of the support, the reason she had all the support is because there was the potential to gain more power. Basically, financial reward and cooperation with the palace. So explosion, even more so of like wealth, growth, production, trade, just kind of is continuing to be really great. And also monument creation, which is interesting. So the explosion and non-royal monument creation, so monuments more for the elites, the rich, the aristocracy, speaks to a changing balance between king and elite. And what was now so striking was the upward trajectory of those elites serving under Hatshepsut as regent, because she's still just regent at this time. In previous reigns, elites couldn't produce as many monuments and stuff like that. They, like, didn't have the power or the money to do so. But with Hatshepsut on the throne, the balance was shifting. So, essentially, the power that the king normally held was, like, disseminating a little bit across, like, the elite. The elites were, at this point, kind of running the show. And they were good at communicating that if they were going to have this woman rule over them, that they need to be benefiting. Yeah. Scratching of back. Yes. I really like this book because it ties it to a lot of historical things of many women who have mm-hmm. had power. It talks a little bit about like examples where people in power were like optics. So it mentions not, even... Act, don't actually have power. Right. And of course, there were the queens representing a variety of countries in a fragmented Europe. Elizabeth I, Mary Queen of Scots, Catherine the Great each of whom was arguably politically placed by power brokers, queen makers, if you will, as pawns in a larger game, until they were able to master the rules of the chessboard as a queen in their own right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's this thing called the great man hypothesis, in this case, the great woman hypothesis, based on the belief that one person could step into power seize authority, even if others didn't want to grant it. So it basically implies that one person could lead a nation into ruin 
or war or success without the influential people under them having any real say. Right. Which is incorrect. Like no one gets into right. power or retains power, fails or succeeds without the There's influence always, of other yeah. people. So how much credit or blame can we give to Hatshepsut on her path from regency to kingship? All? Likely not. Some? Yes. She was there ready to create a balance of power among elites, and she held the gravitas of pure royal blood. Egypt's patrician families were supporting her power while simultaneously taking more wealth and influence for themselves, exploiting the delicate situation. She was starting her rule from a disadvantage. You know how I was saying about how she was an extension of her father's power without being a threat to it? She was a traditionalist. There's not any real evidence that she pushed back really hard up to this point. It wasn't like the elites were struggling to fight against her to take this power from her, essentially. Everyone around her knew that when the kids started growing up, his agenda would probably not align with hers. This king was still very much controlled by Hatshepsut, basically. Obviously, problems did begin to emerge. Hatshepsut still had like all the training for this kind of situation. She also, which is really cool, had like knowledge from previous dynasties, including that of like Mernith of Dynasty 1 and Neferuzabek of Dynasty 12. Like these other women who had taken power, she probably knew. Knew their stories. Knew their stories and had them to look to, see how they maybe failed, what they could have done differently. So she basically had learned to wield political power as a woman, no less, from the best. And she continued along that line, doing nothing unusual or out of bounds, keeping everyone as happy as she could. Yeah. But maybe Hatshepsut also bided her time, because as God's wife of Amun, she had a foundation of ideological, political, economic, and priestly support that her mother had never had. And as king's daughter, she held unbreakable links to palace, temple, and army officials. And connections to the influential men of the treasury. So all the right connections, essentially. Currently, she's a pawn, but everything was set up to retain and then perhaps grow her power again. And it's interesting that she's so, she's 16 at this point, Mm -hmm. because I feel like because she was a high priestess, she probably, as a very young child, had a lot more access to like important people, important conversations Mm -hmm. than maybe some of the other kids who didn't have like an important title Uh or didn't have like any hope of being ruler or anything like that. Right. Even though they weren't saying she was going to be ruler at this point, like, yeah. she still had a high position that would be for her whole life. Yes. So she would have been in more important rooms. Yes. And just learned from that. Yeah, exactly. And because at least at first she wasn't ever a threat, people probably didn't censor themselves around her, didn't yes. keep important knowledge from her because she was someone who had the rank to know yeah. those inner workings. Well, and it's impossible to say did she not make a move early on purpose or was she just a 16 year old kid yeah yeah like okay i'll just do Mm -hmm. as it is and then all of a sudden in your brain you're like wait a second i have all the pieces of this yeah this is when things kind of start to switch up a little bit basically she realized if she could make the elites work against each other and then be fighting to gain her favor Mm -hmm. she could kind of like get some of that power back she set up one guy, Sinanmut, who had no connection to patrician families in the treasury. But she also put Amos Penikbet. Their names from, are 
hard. Yeah. He was from an established patrician family into the same post. So she was like putting people with various ties, connections, reasons to gain power, putting them against each other, basically get them to compete with one another for her favor. Hatshepsut's other avenue to further her influence were the gods themselves. She was a pro at cloaking her political ambitions in like a veil of ideology. Yeah. Religion. This is where marketing comes in. The way she talks about it is this power was given to me. I'm honoring my father by taking this power, you know, like very humble. It's not about me. Yeah, it's not about me. Yeah. And then she showed herself in the temples. She had images where she was interacting directly with the gods, which wasn't really ever pictured before. So Egyptian elites had never before seen God's wife of Amun depicted so large and so close to the gods. So she relied on this religious display for sure, showing off her piety, setting up statues for her dead husband, inscribing that they were for her brother, making an explicit justification for more power for herself because she was a pious supporter of this king who had died too young. Basically just a religious, political, economic statement that displayed her as like a divine mother. Yeah. Hatshepsut was acting as God's wife, a role that by right she needed to relinquish to a direct relative of the king. So there was a vacancy essentially for high priestess if she Mm. was to be stepping fully into this kingship. And she has a daughter. Yeah. (laughs) We love it. Yeah. The king's mother, Isis, was the most. We love a momager. Yes was the most entitled, technically, to the priestess in terms of genealogy and tradition, like that normally is what would have happened. But Hatshepsut had a card up her sleeve, her own daughter, Nefuri, Thutmose III's half-sister, was the ideal candidate for the priestess post, but she was still too young at this point. So Hatshepsut at this point still held that position and was the best trained for it. So she just like... Kept it? Yeah, kept it. She was fulfilling roles for two children of the next generation, both high priestess and king. Church and state, baby. Yeah, she got it all. (laughs) So she's basically nothing more than a placeholder. Her closest supporters realized that what was required was a real and legitimate source of power for her, for them to retain their power and influence. If we look carefully, she says, we can actually see Hatshepsut and her advisors inexorably and systematically working to make her position permanent. (laughs) (laughs) So so she had two 10-story obelisks cut from quarries. (laughs) Love an obelisk. Yeah. Love it. Obelisk. Yes. Senenmet, the person that she placed in the treasury, carved into the cataract rocks in the Nile River an image, a billboard of the ancient world to any well-connected elite who might sail by, showing Hatshepsut wearing the double-plumed headdress as God's (laughs) wife of Amun. She basically was like visually setting the sage. Yeah. The fact that it was along the Nile... Anybody going it's like by. The highway. It literally yeah, is like a literally on the, the Egyptian highway. highway. So funny. So that everyone could see. With all of this, they were clearly planning her next bold move to the kingship years in advance. Because this was like yeah. a while before she eventually was like officially king. And they were strategically publishing her justifications for this inevitable power all around Egypt. Lots of images. Hatshepsut performing sacred rites that typically only a king would perform, portrayed her standing directly in front of one of the divinities in a temple, pictured her wearing kingly garb, 
all the imagery needed to just kind of put it in the back of everybody's minds that she was king already before she actually made the jump. So maybe no one was surprised when the famous oracle of Amun revealed the selection of her as his chosen leader, marking her for kingship before all her people and one of the most public religious festivals at Thebes. They bring the Oracle of Amun. Yes, exactly. They bring that back in. So now it's like, not only have we been setting this up by marketing, but like now there's also the divine decision backing you. What are we going to do with that pesky kid? The kid king. We'll get there. Yeah. Do we kill him? No. Oh. Yeah. Bummer. You don't have to. It's complicated. It's not an unhappy ending, but it's not necessarily a happy ending either. Okay. So... It said, no surprise when the when Amun marked her as king, but then also no surprise when those obelisks, which she had said are were being built and carved for her nephew, the future king, were instead for her. carved with her own images. She's like, baby. Oops. I love this part, and it gives me chills. Yeah, hat shepsuit, baby. This says, maybe the artisans knew her plans before some of Egypt's wealthiest families, yeah. which I love that idea that these people were like, We're coming this in here. We know what this means. (laughs) So when she first showed herself as like Egypt sovereign, it was in female form. There would be no subterfuge, no disingenuous claim to be a male king at this Mm -hmm. point. Oh. Even like Horus, which was a hawk, basically, the word for that could be made into a divine female falcon by adding like one letter. Yeah. She basically started like manipulating the Egyptian language that was gender flexible so it could very easily account for female uh, kingship. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I like the way that like the glyphs and imagery is like, yes, you know. Yeah. It plays a huge part. Another quote. Women in power have learned that they sometimes have no choice but to layer manly elements onto their feminine selves, like female army officers who wear unisex uniforms, hair neatly tied back, or the female judge wearing not only the black robes of a jurist, but also the white wig, the female professional basketball player wearing the same jersey more or less as her NBA counterpart, not to mention her coach on the sidelines in an androgynous suit or the female Anglican minister in the masculine garb of a holy man. There is no feminine alternative for some positions with specific dress. Hatshepsut knew that just as we do. Yeah. Hillary Clinton. Yes. She's mentioned in this chapter, actually, specifically. (laughs) Power suits. Yes. In the end, Hatshepsut used her regency to manufacture a female kingship over time, culminating in months of celebrations at temples throughout Egypt. So when it finally did happen, it was like party city. She's like not holding back like descriptions of herself anymore. So there's like one description that she gave herself and it's, I am beneficent king, lawgiver who judges deeds. I am the wild horned bull coming from heaven that he might see her form. I am the falcon who glides over the lands, landing and dividing his borders. I am the jackal who swiftly circles the land in an instant. I am excellent of heart, one who glorifies her father, attentive of deeds to render justice to him. Powerful for herself, but still the touch of, this is for my father. I also wonder if she felt divine right. Yeah. Like she could have really believed it. Where she was like, I am that bitch. Yeah. This is another quote. I just, she just writes so well. Hatshepsut knew that a woman's openly declared ambition was perceived with hostility. And so she avoided naming her own ambition at all costs, 
Just as Queen Elizabeth I of England stated upon her ascension, the burden that has fallen upon me makes me amazed, and yet, considering I am God's creature, ordained to obey his appointment, I will thereto yield, desiring from the bottom of my heart that I may have have assistance of his grace to be the minister of his heavenly will in this office now committed to me. Yeah. And it also gives another example of like a Pakistani politician saying whatever my aims and agendas were, I never asked for power. Mm -hmm. And then she talks about Hillary Clinton and actually why part of her downfall was because she wasn't necessarily hiding ambition. And that's terrible for a woman. And then there's that quote that she even mentions where Hillary's talking about how she's challenging assumptions about women and makes people uncomfortable But how she's doing that purposely because she thinks it's empowering for women to see like another woman not standing back. That portrayal of women as I want to do an ambitious episode. Yeah, we really should. Yeah, because I really would like to look in like research more. I feel like Hillary Clinton was both the disliked kind of feminist in the Mm -hmm. '90s, but also made laughable. Yeah by bill clinton's affair yes made her not desirable Uh and those two things combined with a very abrupt feminism that i think like was not widely accepted at the Mm -hmm. time made her just very dislikable you still hear people say that like oh i just yeah i'm not i don't really love hillary clinton yeah and i feel like it's because of that i think that had a lot more subconscious impact on her image than people are willing to admit yeah I also want to do an episode on Monica Lewinsky. Yes. Because she's like really cool. (laughs) She's making moves. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Man, I love her. So yeah, she talks about how maybe Hillary Clinton, if she had been likable, likable, feminine, less outwardly ambitious, desirable. Yeah. That she could have stepped into these positions that she wanted. Yes. Yeah. This says like Hatshepsut would have agreed with Hillary. She like the author feels like. But the Egyptian queen would have been much more canny in her public repudiation of personal ambition. I do think people are very turned off by women. Like, it is ambition. Yeah. But now there's this weird thing where it's like, you also are turned off by women who aren't ambitious. Right. Be ambitious, but not too much. Right. It's like, fucking hell. Yeah, can't do anything right. So, ultimately... Hatshepsut's rise to the kingship was irrevocable. How did one say no when every temple, every priest, every oracle, every divinity was on board with continuing this queen's power? This was a woman who knew in her bones how to construct and maintain religious authority. You know who she's reminding me of? Who? And you're going to hate this. (laughs) Maybe not. Kim Kardashian. I feel like Kim Kardashian is absolutely the master of morphing her image over time yeah to think that she was just this laughable sex tape Mm -hmm. and now it's like people are like well you can't deny she's a great businesswoman well she's doing all this stuff for criminal justice yeah and it's like who are we talking about again like i think she's a mastermind of very slowly moving Uh manipulating the perception of her public image very slowly over time and she never forces it yeah And it is absolutely genius the way she goes about it. I've been watching like the recent seasons of the new version of their show. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the way she waited 
to speak publicly about Kanye West uh-huh. after it's died down, after everyone's turned against him, after everyone has kind of seen like who he who he is in the in the public eye. And then she waited. She waited yeah. and waited and waited. And then she started by saying, I'm never gonna say anything bad about him publicly. Because if my kids ever see it, I don't want to ruin their image of their dad. She's a genius because she doesn't have to say it. Yeah. Everyone can fill in the details. Yeah. But she'll say, I'm never going to talk shit about him because of my kids. But it's so subtle and so slow. She's like the master of doing it slowly. Yeah. I think the glacial shifting of public image is so Mm -hmm. fascinating. Like Taylor Swift is someone where I feel like she like drops a new album and reinvents her image yeah but when you look at like her career as a whole she i think has more abrupt shifts and more of a platform to do that but i yeah. feel like when you look back at people's career it's always so crazy to see how they've changed over time mm-hmm. and then there's people like share yeah where they haven't yeah and those she are always crazy. the same <laughs> all of this can very easily make us forget that there was a nine ten year old yeah. boy oh we didn't forget on the throne Right. Who's not going to be murdered. Yeah. Neferuzabek of Dynasty 12 ruled because there was no one else left to rule. The same with Tauroset. So, like, all of these other queens ruled because there was no other option or temporarily yeah. in place. She of does someone. have another option. Yeah, there is another option. Thutmose has people behind him. The child king. The child king. I mean, Thutmose respect, but... <laughs> I just had to say that. Yeah. Thank you. That was my contribution. (laughs) Basically, he was now building his own kind of like cabal of supporters. Uh Uh-oh. Are they going to (laughs) brawl? Fight! 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 (laughs) Man, I just had a really funny couple of of seconds there. So she knew this. Nothing gets by And if this was happening, then she had to strike immediately before the king got any older than nine or ten because no one, not even a woman, abdicates from God kingship itself. So she was like, the second I get actual God kingship, I'm set. Yeah. So she literally, she relies on symbolism so much. She changed his name, the the king's name, from Menkeper Thutmose to Menkeper. Menkeperkare. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's an extra syllable. That yeah, most. a syllable. An implied demotion to everyone but the nine-year-old boy, too immature to understand what had just happened. So no longer did the Was manifestation... Was it like junior? <laughs> yeah. So his name went from meaning manifestation of the sun god endure, and now it only meant manifestation of the spirit of the sun god. Oh. So he's not... Assistant to the regional manager. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So it was like subtle things like that, that like it was a child. Like yeah, he, he didn't realize that. And it was just subtle enough, you know? And his mom wouldn't have known. Yeah, and I'm sure she's in the picture to some extent, but she has like no power. They also made it sound like she was kind of like trash. Yeah. Respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she like knew how the patriarchy worked and was like, I'm using this to my advantage. Yeah. Smart girl. So she had, like, very subtly moved her nephew into a position of lower power. So they were co-kings, 
But she was very clearly the one in control. Yeah. Literally is Jim and Dwight. Yes. Yeah. And then every, like, every time maybe she might lose her power, she then kind of brings back the, whatever the specific connection to regain. Yeah. Yeah. Or like her being the daughter of the king, you know? So basically. I didn't choose this. It chose me. The crazy thing is, she is the most legitimate person to yeah. rule. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. And she's jumping through so many hoops. Yes. Yeah, and she's good at it. Yeah. She's a good ruler. And we'll see more of like what she actually accomplished. Lineal father connections in the eyes of ancient Egypt gave her lasting power, yeah. which essentially that paired with the divine power she held made her nephew like irrelevant. Yeah. This obviously led to paranoia. Yeah. That most her nephew's like circle of influence was expanding. There was probably people behind him who were like, we have reason enough to try to get him on the throne. And this is how it would benefit us. Also like an interesting note here. They talk about Cleopatra in this book later. Cleopatra needed a strong like warlord. Yeah. To sort support her reign. And Hatshepsut didn't have that either. She didn't need to like sexually entice anybody. It was all political and And religious. I feel like piety was important for her. Yeah. Also, because she's a woman, there's, like, not a way for her to have, like, necessarily a perfectly legitimate heir. She didn't have a harem. Right. To have tons of options for heirs. Yeah, would have been... Reverse harem for her would have been great. So, basically, she knew she would always have to share power. And even if she had wanted to, assassinating her co-king would have meant a sudden end to her own power as well. This is when she was, like... There's a lot of subtle scheming. Did she marry her nephew? And then she's... No. But at this point, she's trying to establish a new line of secession to her daughter, which is like, no, no. Her daughter married... Marries the king. Yes. So the daughter even appears on monuments. So there's more evidence of her trying to do the same thing for her daughter. This kind of was a bit of the downfall. Hatshepsut may have tried to push herself and her daughter's suits too high until they both were shoved off a cliff together. Yeah. Metaphorically. Hatshepsut was kind of in an in-between land. As far as, like, gender, she's starting to, like, present herself very androgynously. But she was aging, which, as we know... Women can't age. Women can't age. This was before Botox, unfortunately. Yeah, and this is a good quote, too. And what does this tell us about the requirements of female power? If we have evidence for anything, it is of a female king who had to give away more than she kept who had to allow her elites to take more from the palace and temple treasuries than any other Dynasty 18 king had previously found acceptable in order to keep her power. Mm-hmm. As far as a king goes, she was somewhat broke. Egypt was very wealthy at the time, yeah. so it's not really that she was broke, but like in comparison. And so women were often put into these roles because they were more peacemakers. They weren't, they were diplomatic. They could keep peace or create peace while men were typically more militant. But it seems that Hatshepsut wasn't really that much of a pacifist. So there's like one really big expedition to punt. Her biggest thing that still exists today that there is a picture of in there is the Temple of Millions of Years, which yeah. was one of her biggest like architectural feats. She like told in this temple her whole story, like how great she was, why yeah. she came into power, that kind of stuff. She also celebrated a jubilee, which was only supposed to happen when a king had ruled for 30 years. But she combined the role of her husband... Oh. And her father, and the thirty years there, and girl celebrated, math. yeah, girl math, <laughs> and celebrated a jubilee there, again, kind of reinstating I am king. 
Okay, so Thutmose. There aren't really any signs that he dissented during her lifetime. There are signs, though, that Hatshepsut was kind of like had her hand slapped a little bit. Mm. Not because of what she was doing for herself, but because of what she was doing for her daughter. Yeah, which makes sense because I feel like that's where it would be threatening him the most. Like if his wife was more powerful than him. Yes, exactly. So Hatshepsut had timed it all perfectly but only if she had been a soul king and a man yeah. that is ready to pass on her sovereignty to her son. Nefruri would have been like a perfect queen regent. Thutmose, her nephew, ended up ruling another 30 years after she died, making the sons of Hatshepsut's daughter older and established and didn't need a queen regent so that her daughter wasn't necessary the way Hatshepsut was. If Nefruri had produced um, sons for Thutmose, as evidence suggests, then she and her progeny were in for, like, a massive downfall, basically. He had apparently skipped over any other, any older sons of pure royal blood, opting instead for new blood, untainted by the royal female influence of the palace. Yeah. So he was like, I am getting rid of all of you. So when Hatshepsut died, she was buried with full respect that like being a king required but in other areas he began a very different campaign one that focused on rewriting his past and on the removal of Hatshepsut from history so small penis energy yeah she he reassigned um certain like dedications to his father and grandfather to show that like there was never this interruption of a female rule yeah he kind of undid what Hatshepsut did and made it clear that he was the one that the oracle had chosen okay yeah and with the punt expedition they like chiseled the reliefs away from that and reassigned those images as well to Thutmose the first and second he also like simultaneously ordered the erasure of Nefure. His last great act as king was to elevate the children of non-royal women as his legacy because the king's sister wives, like Nefruri, had become too powerful. (laughs) The sister wives. Yes. So he basically bided his time and started pushing back at a time that was most beneficial to him. Yeah. And he then also taught his son to fear royal women in power as well. Man, there's so many good quotes. Lest we forget, every time a minority gains power, those who feel the most threatened are prone to push back. As the men's rights movement is currently reacting to feminism, as evangelical Christians are to secular humanism and atheists, as American white nationalism is to Black Lives Matter and the Obama presidency, as European nationalist populism is to the European Union and its multiculturalism. So... Thutmose, not him specifically, yeah. though because of him, this Egypt seems to have been undergoing its own threatened reaction to an upswing in female yeah, like power. Backlash. Yes. Hatshepsut had done everything right. She was conservative, traditional. She did what kings were supposed to do. What this author argues is that doing everything right ensured that her legacy would be lost yeah. because she had created this masculine image of her. It was so easy to replace. Yeah. Many women already know that their greatest successes and their best ideas are the ones most easily co-opted and claimed by the men around them in the workplace, in the home and in politics. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And her kind of final note about Hatshepsut is like, she is like, this is just one woman in thousands of years where the men took credit. They mentioned Rosalind Franklin, and DNA, you know, like all of these scientific discoveries yeah. too. Hatshepsut was just kind of in that long list. 
I also unfortunately. think it's interesting to like look at ancient mm-hmm. feminism, yes. essentially, mm-hmm. because I feel like right now there's a counter wave of feminism where there's like these homemaker, hyper conservative women pushing back on feminism. And I think a lot of women don't think that's dangerous because Mm -hmm. it's like, well, look at how far we've come. It's like, well, that's true. If you only look at like the last hundred years, the last couple hundred years, there's been feminism forever. Yes. And there will be waves of feminism and then waves of this like counteractivity where you regress. It is dangerous. Yeah. I don't really judge any woman for like what she wants out of her life women wanting to work or women not wanting to be married or not wanting kids or wanting equality within like a romantic relationship and then there's this like really in my opinion crazy backlash to that right that's like oh no your husband should be your yeah the lead head of the household or even if you're just no kids like they have the say yeah and well and just in general the it I is mean, it's, dangerous yeah it's dangerous and it also is just another way that it becomes a competition yeah or a fight when it doesn't need to be yeah if you want to be a homemaker if you want to have a family and stay home with your kids if you want like all of these Do more it. traditionally female roles that's fine and awesome if you want to get married that's fine and awesome yeah it's also awesome to be single have no kids for some reason the the response tends to be one of perceived threat yeah and i also like, think that like it's interesting that hat shepsuit hattie that she cute. used piety and religion to gain yeah. power and that it was also used to ruin her afterwards yeah. Because I feel like anytime there's a pushback on feminism that like, I always feel like there's micro versions of it in your home and your relationships. And then there's macro versions of it, like politically, workplace, Mm -hmm. whatever. A lot of times it's somehow religiously supported, like the superiority of men. Yes. Is like religious in some way. There's like this weird wave of super conservative couples on social media right now. The women in particular, when they're talking about it, it's always this, well, this is the way it is because this is the way God designed us. And that is used to like manipulate that narrative. And so interesting because they often say things like, well, this is against what I want, but what I want is sinful. Yeah. Like, that it's sinful for you to want autonomy over your own life. Right. This, like, really psychological yeah. manipulation of, like... And goes against your nature. Like, your nature. I, I don't know if you ever read... Um, the guy's version was Wild at Heart, and the girl's version was Captivating, I think. Mm-hmm. So, there was these books. I read it. The whole thing, and the Captivating one that I read was... We, as women, our biggest dream in life is to be rescued. Basically positioning women as the one who needs to have a rescuer, a provider. Almost giving it like a biological argument. Yeah. And then the men's wild at heart was, you were meant to be a rescuer. Ugh. I think back to reading those and I was so into it at the time, but it was very much like you are a damsel in distress and your purpose in life is to be rescued and taken care of. And even I remember a Bible teacher I had growing up, they just, they tried so hard to make it appealing. They twisted the, the verses in the Bible about 
submitting. And he's like, you should submit to being treated like a queen. And my little romantic mind was like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. But the submitting is the language that they use in these. Yes. This hyper conservative Mm -hmm. marriage language is like submitting to your husband, submitting to the head of your household. Yeah. It's interesting because like I was married pretty young to someone who would call himself a feminist. I would Mm -hmm. also call him a feminist. When you've been both raised in like a patriarchal society, I think there's always going to be microaggressions of sexism in any heterosexual relationship. And I think sometimes those are the most painful. Yeah. Because I think when you're out in society, when you're at work, it sucks. Yeah. You know, but when you're in a relationship with someone who you love, who loves you, and it's like, why am I getting stuck with all the stuff at home? Right. Why do you feel like that's my job? Yeah. And why am I also making more money than you? Yeah. And why is it also my job to grocery shop and to plan our meals? There was just like very little things. And like a lot of women I know in relationships complain about these things. You're doing all this mental, emotional labor in relationships. You get him to finally go grocery shopping and he's like, well, write me a list. And you still then have to do the thinking and the planning. Okay, so the only labor you saved me from is walking around the grocery store. Which I like. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite part. part. Yeah. Yeah. It is the weaponized incompetence where, well, I don't know how to load the dishwasher the right way. Well, I don't know what we need this week. I don't know how to fold a fitted yeah to fold a finish sheet but I feel like in my relationship we talked about it a lot yeah. and things improved and there was also you know whatever <laughs> other <laughs> other things going on there yeah. but when I was really young it was very confusing and I feel this way single too like I love home making yes I love making my home cozy and homey and yeah, I like same cooking and I still like cooking for my friends. I like that. I hate cleaning, but I feel good when my house is clean and when I feel like I'm taking care of my home. I like those things as an individual and I don't even mind doing that for someone else. Yeah. But then there was a point that I got to where it's like, I'm the breadwinner. I'm doing all of the the home activities that are historically male, like Mm -hmm. managing finances, making decisions and stuff like I was doing a lot of that too yeah but I also feel like it's like weirdly on me to do all the other stuff right too yeah and then it's like well what is yours yeah you know and and we got better at working that out of like this is yours I'm never gonna do this I'm never gonna think about it I'm never gonna worry about it you have to worry about this but it still always felt a little like imbalance everything is on me and I was surprised when I moved out on my own that it was a lot easier yeah even though now everything is up to you everything is my responsibility but it's just me yeah when I think about if I were to be in a serious relationship in the future with a man there's like very small things about like hey what does your schedule look like this week so we can have time together I don't want to have to ask I want them to be like hey we need to spend time together what does your schedule look like yeah here's what my schedule looks like yeah there needs to be like a 50 50 exchange on stuff like that Uh even just like putting effort in to each other yeah would need to be a 50 50 at least it was a weird realization when i was younger to be like 
what isn't my job? Yeah. Though? And and if I have to do all of this stuff, why am I in a relationship? Right. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> I understand people who don't want to work. Or right. I understand who, people who have kids, especially like if you yeah. if you have kids and you just want to be able to focus on them. I love that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. My moms didn't work when I was a kid. And like when she went back to work, it was a really tough transition for me. And I loved having my mom like home and around. I think that's great, but it is like a very weird dialogue around reversing feminism. Yeah. And the weirdest thing is that there are actual, I don't know if it's biological, but like women's natural tendencies tend to be better leadership tendencies. Yeah. That you consider everyone. Yeah. That you're more empathetic, level-headed, better at communicating things. Like women tend to be that way. And whether that's built by society or something that we just naturally are. We make better leaders and it's always very much said the opposite way. Man, the number of times I've been yelled at by a man in a workplace is hilarious. Don't you just get the giggles when men get mad? I remember at one of my agencies, one of our clients had a new CMO and she came on to a Zoom call Mm -hmm. and was very upset and I cried. I got on a different call where... There was this man who didn't even have the guts to turn on his camera, but I was presenting like a SEO strategy and he was so patronizing. And what happened was he just had a different strategy. Both were correct. Right. Both work. It wasn't that either Either one of us was wrong, but the way he spoke to me, the difference between, because I remember getting on a call with the same manager, customer service person after to kind of relay what had happened. I think he even said when I got on after the one with the, the guy who was patronizing, he's like, you're reacting very differently to this one. And I'm like, I am just the audacity. Yeah. It was hilarious almost. Yeah. Like I remember having to stop myself from being like, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> and I think even a woman from that client messaged me and apologized for him. Well, and I feel very torn in these moments, actually, because I think like the men that I'm close to often will say that men are not nurtured to express their feelings in the way that girls are. Like boys are not taught to express their feelings in the way that girls are. And that as they become adults, it's difficult for them. And they often express them in the wrong way. For the men in my life that I love... I want to create space for them to express their feelings, even if they don't do it perfectly. Yeah. I think we all deserve that. Like you don't always express yourself perfectly. And I always want to like create space for men to do that. But then there are just moments where I'm like, you can't possibly, (laughs) where they're like, I know. It's like, are Did you just short circuit? What happened? They're like shaking and I I can't help myself. It's just kind of like, this is so silly. Yeah. And I never want to belittle someone's feelings. And I really like have worked on that as an adult to not be like, bro. But it's also (laughs) silly. Yeah. But that expression, that shaking, physical shaking, there is a level where that's kind of like... (laughs) Whoa, bro, get it together. Get it together. But that is the exact same type of issue that causes physical abuse. Yes. 
caused my ex to snap a Samsung Galaxy oh, yeah. in half because he thought I was breaking up with him. Punching walls a and... a fucking phone in half. It's like, Yeah, relax. punching phones in walls. And I know there's girls who, like, also sure. react that way. I know that's not, like, just a male thing, yeah. but I feel like it's much more common. And it's hard because, like, I really feel like they think they're intimidating you. And I'm like, you just became so small. Yeah. In my mind, like, you just became such a small person to me. Yeah. Because I I don't feel like we're on the same level. No. I feel bad saying it, but it's like a child. Yes. It feels very like mother-child. I, the way that my ex would whine about things in a way that was like a child. Yeah. Everybody complains. Everybody needs to vent. Everybody needs yeah, to talk absolutely. about their feelings. And I cried to you like sometimes. 12 times yeah. this week because I was upset and overwhelmed. But it's the specific way <laughs> that it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest ick. It's so icky. And I, it's nauseating, honestly. When I think about the times that I've yeah. seen men go, that kind of like whine, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Grow up. <laughs> and I can humanize that. I can understand somewhat yeah. where that comes from. Like I can say, like, I- I've been immature. Uh, immature. Yeah. I complain, whatever. There's this very tonal difference. <laughs> well, and I think so like, often. What's going on here? When women are the one, like, we've been in therapy. We're doing a lot of work. The situations where we react childish are often reactions to someone treating us very terribly for a long amount of time. Or it just takes us so much more to get us there. Or there's mental... I mean, I've done... I broke down because of pot roast one time that sure. my mom was cooking. I was severely among us, though? Me- mentally ill and unmedicated at the Who time. among us has not overreacted right. to something in a way that seems silly later? Yeah. We all have done it. Yeah. I think what's interesting with men... I've had many men yeah. in my life you know, handle a situation really poorly. I'll confront them about it after the fact. And then they're like, well, I was never taught to express my feelings and I'm doing my best. And I'm always like, I believe you. That's okay. Figure it out. Both men and women often talk about women being able to emotionally regulate and communicate in high tension situations as what you were taught to express your feelings. And it's like, actually, I think that is a direct result of being absolutely ridiculed if you express any emotion that is more than middle of the line. Yeah. If you're angry, you're overreacting. If you're crying, you're way too sensitive. Yes. If you're confident, yeah. you're a bitch. And this, we do this to children. Yes. Little girls yes. we do this to. If you're too excited about something, yeah. any emotion. Yeah. Even like if you love something a lot. Yes. It's patronized. Yes. Like women at Target. Yeah. It's patronized. Yeah. And it's like, we were also conditioned. This is a result of us also being right. conditioned. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not furious in the moment. Right. I am. It's that I was taught that if I express that, there will be very negative consequences. Yeah. No one will actually hear what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think boys are taught that. Boys can scream and people still listen to them, especially yeah. their mothers. Yes. I, that's always like left out of the dialogue right. where it's like, well, that's also a result of sexism. Yeah. And it's also not fair. Yeah. It's like when I went to the doctor... And he told me I couldn't get, no one would ever do a surgery that I needed, which was not true. And I cried and I teared up. Not even, I don't think a tear fell. 
I was, my eyes are watering. It's something I've had for my whole life. I'm finally trying to get it fixed. It's like affecting my life negatively. My eyes are watering. And he was like, do you often get worked up about medical issues? And basically question my sanity. Yeah. Because I was upset that he told me that there would not be any doctor, is what he said, that would be willing to do this hernia surgery. Which is crazy. Which is, yeah, literally the women's clinic across the street was like, okay, we can get you in next week. (laughs) And it was bigger than you Bigger, yes. And he didn't even look at it. He didn't look at my medical history, nothing. But because I showed an ounce of emotion or upset, he immediately questioned my sanity. Even with men I know and love. I, with my dad, I've gotten very, very good at when we talk about things that we disagree on. I've gotten much better at not crying in those conversations. I still care about all the things I'm talking about the exact same amount, but I learned that, and I love my dad. Yeah. I love my dad. He's an angel. Mom, dad's an angel. I'm not talking bad about him, but I did learn That in these conversations, if I start crying, if I get too visibly upset, the conversation flips. And it's like, why are you so upset about this? not hearing what you're saying. Yeah, or it's immediately discrediting all the information I have, all the research I have, all the legitimate points I make. And it hasn't been... the validity of you being upset in the first place. And I don't think it's been until more recently when I've been much better at holding in the, the outward expression of my emotions. Mom, dad, I love you so much that I feel like I have been able to get across yeah. to my parents. I feel like I had the opposite with my dad. Mm. My dad was a uh, in the military. Yeah. And my dad has always been a really present dad, but yeah. like he was not very expressive and was not very like sensitive to me or my sister being express like emotionally expressive yeah. when I was younger. I don't feel like he responded to those situations very well when I was a kid. Yeah. Yesterday I called my dad sobbing. Yeah. About my job. Mm -hmm. I had called him because he is a person in my life where I'm like, if I'm overreacting to this, he'll tell me and he'll say it in a nice way. Yeah. It really like afterwards made me think like our relationship has come such a long way because my dad has become more comfortable with his own emotions. Mm -hmm. He's become better at regulating his emotions. He's become better at expressing his like feelings and emotions about things and really being receptive to other people's feelings about things. And I called him like he picks up the phone and I'm like, oh, you know, like sobbing. Yeah, I was sobbing. I could barely talk to him. And he was so validating. Yeah. And I was not expressing anything in like a sane way. Yeah. I was just like, you know, and he was so receptive and listened to me and gave me really good advice and was like, you know, life is way too short, Sarah. You shouldn't feel like this, yeah. you know? And I feel like our relationship has become much closer in the last couple of years. And I think part of it is because I've had experiences the last couple of years where I had to rely on my parents for things yeah, emotionally yeah, <laughs> and otherwise where I've had to call them and be like, I'm getting a divorce and I need you to fly here in two weeks and help me drive a U-Haul and I'm really sorry, and, <laughs> you know? And like, and conversations I really didn't want to have yeah. with them. I really appreciated that he was so sweet and supportive. And yeah. I, 
I feel like I am not a very expressive person and I have become more expressive also yeah. as I've gotten older. Yeah. I think it's been like interesting to watch mm-hmm. both of us do that. Yeah. 30 years apart. I don't think our relationship, I would never describe it as broken, but I feel like it's been like healing yeah. and really like connected us. You know? Yeah. To be clear, what I was saying about my dad is really just when we disagree on something. I know. Because I, I have been very lucky in that I have a father figure who has always He's been outwardly yeah. expressive I've seen your and dad cry. <laughs> Yeah. He like looks at my mom for like three seconds too long and starts crying because he like loves, he her, loves so her so much. <laughs> He does that to me, too. Like, I'll just, like, look over, and he's like, my little Maggie, and then he's crying. Yeah. And so I've really appreciated, I mean, well, just any, like, a male figure in general in my life who is comfortable expressing Mm -hmm. expressing emotions. If I were to get seriously back into dating, it helped me kind of, like, see that that is even a possibility. Yeah. To look Uh, for that. Yeah, to look for that and to know what that can look like and to know that that's a Good, a good, it's a good thing. Lovely thing. Yeah, I yeah. actually think my whole family—we're all in therapy right now, and I yeah. think that it's probably going to end up helping all of us. I feel like all of my family relationships, I can talk a lot more honestly with now. Yeah, there's like an analogy about like a casserole. Yeah, it's usually about conflict. Like if you eat a casserole and then you wash out the dish right away, it comes off right away yeah and if you leave it there for a couple days it gets crusty and then you need to scrape it off crock pot on with apple cider in it overnight right Mm. and i almost feel expressing your feelings is the same way i I tend to be like a bottler sometimes you let it get crusty and then when i finally express myself i'm so upset about something and i have learned i can say something that's difficult to get out and it's okay and then it won't be this huge thing yeah uh, let's do unhinged on hinge. Okay, unhinged on hinge. Unhinged on hinge. Uh, should I go first? Do you want? Yeah, to go you can go first. Mine's just well, no, I can go first because okay, yours is a story. Um, I don't really have like a full story, but I did get a message this week <laughs> on a response where I have a picture with a friend, and the message was, "Will you be my wingman?" Question mark. What? That's so weird. I'm like, are you saying you want to date your friend? Date my friend? Rude. That's weird. And maybe they don't know what wingman means. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't respond. I just. Maybe they meant like arm candy. That was like the weirdest message that I got this week. Super weird. Yeah. Are you okay, guys? Mine was not super unhinged. I just, I went on two dates with someone. Lovely human being. Yeah. Really, really kind. We had a nice time. And after two dates, I was like, you know, I just don't feel like it's like a romantic thing. I was torn apart by this. I felt so bad that I had to text him and be like, I just don't think this is like it. And I workshopped. I sent to my group text with my friends. I was like, what do I do? Got so many opinions. I got so many opinions. I literally sent the text that I ended up sending him to friends. Everyone was like, yep, that's straightforward. It sounds good. And it was basically just like, hey, I had a lot, a really nice time with you, but like, it's just feeling more like friends to me. Which, how do you misinterpret that? I don't know how you, and he misinterpreted it and, and uh, was, was like heartbreakingly like apologizing for his personality. And, but then kind of like, made the assumption that it was like, like that I was saying he wasn't doing like being romantic enough. Yeah. And not, uh, yeah. I feel like we're more friends than this is not going to be a romantic situation at yeah. all. And under the guidance of friends, I just kind of stopped responding to him at that point because I don't know that I need to like over explain myself in this situation. And I yeah. kind of felt like us continuing to talk would just get in this weird loop where I'm like, I know how I feel about it. Yeah. 
you know, it's nothing personal. I wasn't mean, but it's just like... And he'll register that he misinterpreted it, hopefully. But he texted me several times. Since, he, he like yeah. looked on social media. He followed our TikTok, texted me several times since. And I was like, ah. and I, to be clear, I don't think he was unhinged, but I feel like that's like a common thing. And I just yeah. was like very confused. And that's the first time I've done that. Uh-huh. And man, it sucks. It sucks. And I felt so bad. Like I, it's, it sucks to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. But also we went on two dates. Yes. Yeah, not not like we didn't deal. even kiss. <laughs> you know, it was very like platonic feeling yeah. dates. I, I really think that those interpersonal parts of dating are like the most exhausting and hard to navigate. And I definitely feel, feel like I'm like getting better at it the more I yeah. date. It's like, wow, why is this so confusing and hard? Yeah. So that was it. And every time I do date a little bit, I'm like, you know what? That's one of, that was always one of my least favorite parts is just going in knowing it's either going to work out, which is scary, or I'm going to have to end it, which is also scary. <laughs> or they're going to end it with me, yeah. which feels like the least scary. Yes. I was about to say, I don't think anyone's ever broken up with me. I've had a couple where they forced me to break up with them. Yeah. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been broken up with. And I don't remember any time where someone told me, I don't think I want to see you again after like a a dating update. Yeah. I mean, I've had one person just like consistently never text me after dates. Yeah. (laughs) We won't name names. (laughs) Uh, Nice guy. All right. Okay. Should we wrap? Thank you to our patrons. Yes. Thank Thank you you guys so much. Everyone who's listening. Yeah. Now that we both don't have full-time jobs, we're going to use the pity card. (laughs) Yeah. Join our Patreon. I feel like the most important thing is just we've gotten so much feedback from people that they love the podcast and they emotionally like it. They like it on social media. But please Please share share it. Share your favorite episodes. Like we're really trying to broaden the audience. And we've had quite a few people connect with us like through friends of friends and stuff like that and really enjoy it. So if you like the episodes you're listening to share it on your social media or yeah. like, think of a couple friends who might enjoy it and share it with them yeah it really helps us yeah so. it does and rate and subscribe yeah and join our patreon and if you want to see my cool tiger outfit yeah and my steve jobs outfit all right ho 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 ho, ho. Bye. bye love ya do you want a cough drop i'm not gonna be on a cough drop do it. i think here i'm gonna Yeah. Get that wrapper in there. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, baby. baby. (laughs) He called, he don't, he might sell coke. He always in the airplane, never fly coach. You motherfucking trip trip, sailor in the ship ship. Kiss him on the lip lip. That's the kind of dude I've been looking for. And yes, you get slapped if you look at home. I said, excuse me, you're a hell of a guy. guy. My, 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 like, like pelican pelican